Thank you for listening to the All Souls Church Sermon Podcast. We are a counterformational community devoted to following Jesus together in real life. For more information, go to allsouls.church. Think about his second coming. I pray that every person in the room would hear your voice in the text and be awakened to the reality of his coming. Father, come now by the power of your Holy Spirit and teach us. We pray it in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. All right. So, uh, before I get into the sermon, I do want to remind you of the 40 days of prayer that we're doing together as a church. And so you're probably, if you aren't already getting the text messages, text 94,000 to us. Uh, all souls in 94,000, and we will get you the text messages. But every day we're doing uh, just a quick uh, time of prayer. You were sent a verse and then a little prompt for prayer. And the, the thinking is this, that as we together as a church pray over a 40-day period leading up to our public opening, we're praying for what the church will be. We're praying for people that might come to the church. And we're praying for ourselves as, as we're kind of establishing as this kind of small family and be ready to welcome other people that might want to come into our church. Text messages, lift them up to God, and that's, that's one of the best ways you could serve your church is to pray with your church and for your church. And then there's two dates I really need you to put on your calendar uh, as uh, a regular attender or a member of the church. Uh, first is January 2. On January 2, we're going to have like a Vision Sunday. And so basically the idea there is I'm going to preach uh, a sermon on what the vision of our church is, but also in a, uh, tie in what your vision for, uh, or so I should say, what the vision is for you as you think about how God might be calling you to be involved in the church and serve in the church as well. So that will be on uh, January 2nd. So please, first Sunday of the year, Vision Sunday, please be here. It's going to be a very important day. But the next Sunday is going to be our public opening on January 9th. And so really would uh, want you to put those two things on your calendar, be here on those two Sundays, the first two Sundays of the year, make it a point, and uh, please, as we're praying, be praying for that as well. All right, let's go ahead and get into the text. So we are in this series called Joy to the World, where we're looking at Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, which are all stories about the second coming, or teachings about the second coming of Jesus. Now, um, the reason why we're teaching on this right now is because Advent season is the season of the year where we think about the second coming of Christ. And so in the church calendar, in the church year, the ancient you know, Christians built into the church calendar uh, kind of a Christmas, or, or a, sorry, a, a Christian New Year. And the Christian New Year starts with Advent. And in the Christian New Year, what we meditate on and what we think about is the fact that Jesus will come again. He came the first time to forgive us of sins and to heal us spiritually. He will come the second time to make the whole world right and to heal us physically. So that is the great hope of the Christian life, is not just to be forgiven of your sins, but that God will make this world as it's supposed to be. So the sermon this week is Let Every Heart Prepare Him Room, which is, uh, the, that's the title, which is straight from the song. That every heart, we need to prepare room uh, for the second coming of Christ, the, the song coming of Christ, not the first coming of Christ. And so in that song it says uh, we need to be prepared with our hearts for his coming. And so the, what I want to meditate on today is, uh, are we prepared? Are we ready for his coming? Uh, think about this world right now. And at, uh, we need to ask the question, and people are asking the question, is there hope for humanity? 
we all have our own personal things that we're dealing with, struggles and pain points and frustrations and sadness and loneliness and all of these things that we're all dealing with. And so we have this, this, this personal experience of the brokenness of the world. And I don't need to probably spend too much time on that because you know exactly what I'm talking about. You deal with the pain of this world just like I do. And this is the Christian hope is not just to be forgiven of our sins, but we're longing for a new world. We're longing for a world where those things will go away. We're longing for a world where things will be healed. And this will happen at the second coming of Christ. Even as we look at our society, you can look inside yourself and say, yeah, there's uh, struggle and pain. Um, But when we think about hope for humanity... And you think about how the world is so broken and so tense right now, especially with COVID. Um, You know, there's even conversations in our country right now. I don't know if you're aware of this. Where I saw a survey this week that said 55% of the people that they surveyed uh, believe that we could be heading for civil war in this country. Now, I don't know who they're polling, but I, I think that that should tell you something about the intensity, intensity that is going on in our world right now. Uh, another thing that kind of came out of that survey is uh, this, the whole idea that 50% of people in our country think that some states are going to secede from the union uh, from, of the United States. And so when you think about all of that just going on in our country, you can go, man, we can see the tension, we can see the pain point. The Christian hope is not, hey, we need to fix everything, we need to get everything right, and some sort of human utopia is going to be ushered in when we get the right leaders and the right you know, policies and whatever. That's not the Christian hope. The Christian hope is that Jesus will establish his kingdom at his second coming and fix all these things. So when we see uh, homelessness in our city and we see the brokenness uh, that is all around us, the, the people that have been ground down and beaten down by society, people that are mentally ill a lot of times, people that are addicted, which is a disease, uh, we can see it all over our city. And we can say, wow, what, what is going on? Is there hope for humanity? Will this ever be healed? And the answer is that there will always be some kind of brokenness going on until Jesus returns. We could talk about overt racism. We could talk about murder culture going on. We could talk about the school shootings. We could talk about abortion. We could talk about police brutality, school shootings. We could obviously talk about COVID, which we've all been going through. We could talk about all these things going on in our society, like billionaires paying less tax than people living around the poverty line. Or um, we, can, we can just see the brokenness going on. And, and what we also can see is that the people at the bottom are getting crushed the most. Uh, I was watching a documentary this week about pyramid schemes, uh, also known as multi-level marketing. And um, in, in this, in the whole scheme is the people at the top make a ton of money. And then as you go down the, the pyramid, there are people that make a little bit less money. But the people that basically lose money are at the bottom. And they get crushed by the pyramid scheme. Well, in the same way, that's happening in our society. The people at the bottom, the poorest, the, the, the people that most need are getting crushed by the system. And when we talk about uh, Jesus, you know, what Jesus always is talking about healing this world, he's talking about healing those things too. He's not just talking about forgiving our sins. But at Jesus' second coming, everything that is broken in this world is going to be made good and right. And so the Christian hope is to long for this time. Now, uh, before we get into the text, I want to read you something I read this week, which is a picture of what it will look like when the second coming comes. It will be up on the screen. It's Micah chapter 4. 
It says this, it shall come to pass in the latter days, so it's talking about Jesus' second coming, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. So in other words, when Jesus comes again, he will set up his kingdom on earth, and he, he will rule over all, bring peace on earth, and all of the nations will flow into his house. It's a picture of saying all of the nations will follow him and bow before him. So the Christian hope is not just to go to heaven. The Christian hope is that heaven will come to earth, and this earth will be as it's supposed to be. Everything will be as it is supposed to be. Look what it also says about heaven. It says, And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. So there's going to be some uh, engagement with Jesus when he comes back where he's actually going to teach people and, and bring his kingdom in. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And then look at this. This is also an, an effect of when he comes back and what heaven will be like. He shall judge between many peoples. In other words, he'll be the right judge. It's not just talking about he's going to bring judgment, but it's talking about he's going to judge. He's going to be, bring right judgment. He's going to make the right judgment calls, and he's going to make everything as it ought to be. He shall judge between many peoples, and he shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. So here's another beautiful thing. There will be no more war. There will be no more weapons, there will be no more school shootings, there will be no more guns, and in fact, we're told that he will take all the weapons and turn them into farming equipment. So we're looking forward to a world without war, without strife, without people being shot. We're looking forward to the, a beautiful world. Uh, it, there won't be any war. Look at this. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts is spoken. So the picture here is that everybody will have abundance of food and abundance of everything that they need. And so uh, even the poor that are getting ground down will also have everything that they need, and they will finally be relieved at his second coming. So listen. The Christian hope, this is what we're longing for. This is what we want more than anything else as Christians. This is why the wisdom of the ancient Christians to put Advent at, at, at this time of year to yearly think about the second coming of Jesus is so that we can be tuned into the reality that is coming. Because if you get your eyes on what's going on right now, if you get your eyes on what's going on in the world, if you get your eyes on what's going on in your own life, if you get your eyes on what's going on in the lives of the people that are around you, you'll be filled with despair. The Christian hope is not to fix the world by increments. It's not to make little adjustments to your life to make it a little bit better. The Christian hope is the full coming of Christ where everything will be made right. Everything will be made as it ought to be. All right? So this is why we celebrate the second coming. So let's now look at the text. And here's the main point today. It's actually just a direct quote from Jesus. And John the Baptist actually says this too. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's my main point. <clears throat> now, I want to address the word repent because a lot of times people hear that word and they think, oh, that's like some religious word where we beat ourselves up. That's not what repentance is. Repentance in the Bible is, is this word metanoia. It's two words put together, and it means to change mind. Change mind. Change your mind. To repent is to change your mind. 
and to begin thinking about the world as it is under God's rule and his reign. To change your mind from being your own Lord to letting him rule as your Lord. To change your mind from finding your hope in this world to changing your mind to finding your hope in his coming when he makes it all right. So to repent is to change your mind. So change your mind for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, let's look at it. First, the kingdom of heaven. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now what it's referring to, the tribulation of the time between Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' second coming. So most uh, my understanding, based upon most scholars that I, I look to uh, and tend to agree with, is this. That the end times are the time between Jesus' resurrection and his second coming. So we've been in the end times for a long time. Now, there is a certain bit of in- uh, intensity at the right at the end, it seems from Scripture. But my understanding is the tribulation is this entire period of time that Christians have been living in. Uh, since the first coming of Christ. Now, for us in America, it might not feel like a tribulation, but if you live in China and you're a Christian, it feels very much like a tribulation. If you live in the Middle East and you're a Christian, it feels very much like a tribulation. So what he's saying is, but even though we live in this country where there is much more safety, you're experiencing the tribulation. That's what we started with, right? You're in, in your own life, You're seeing it in the world. That's the tribulation. That's the brokenness of the world. And it says immediately after the tribulation of those days, Jesus will come back. So it's this long period of suffering and pain, and then Jesus comes back. Also, my understanding of the second coming of Christ is that the second coming of Christ and what is often called the rapture, where this is where Christians are caught up to be with God in the air to come back to rule with him, they are the same event in my understanding. They happen at the same moment. So there's Jesus comes back, they're caught up in the air, and then Jesus comes back to rule and reign with them. And I'll show you that in the text in just a moment. But the first thing I want you to see is that after the suffering will come the joy. After the night will come the dawn. Okay, that's always, there's always a death before a resurrection in Scripture. And that's what we see here. There's It says that there's going to be some kind of cosmic event in the sky, the stars and the moon and the sun. Uh, So it could be a cosmic event, or it could be referring to the fact that kings were often called moons and suns, and kings would wear stars on their robes. So it could be referring to the fact that every king and kingdom, every president will have to bow, and Jesus will take over. Jesus will dominate. There will be no war. He'll just do it. He'll just take over, and he will rule this world as king. All right, so Jesus uh, is coming, and when he comes, he'll make it all right. Now, verse 30. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So here we see that the tribes, a lot of things there. It could be their mourning because they see that he's come, and they've rejected him, and they now see that they should not have rejected them, that they should have bowed to him. That could be it. It could be that they're mourning because they love evil, and they know his righteousness is coming, and so they're mourning because they're going to have to give up 
the evil in this world. It could be because they are going to have a loss of their own power. It could be because of regret. But we know that at the coming of Jesus, for us, it's going to be this celebration, this joy. But many people on earth will reject him and still hate him, even as he comes back. The whole idea in Scripture is that we either say to God, C.S. Lewis said, uh, thy will be done, or he says to us, thy will be done. And, and if, he gives you, if he gives you what you want, this is where it ends. It ends in this morning. That, that when he comes back, you won't be standing strong. And so for us as Christians, our hope is in this time of coming, but not everybody will rejoice at this day. Verse 31, And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So this is what we call the rapture. Uh, what it says is this, whoever is alive on earth at that time will be caught up to be with Jesus in the air. So in a moment, you're going to be changed from this broken body, and you're going to be given your new resurrected physical body, and somehow you're caught up in the air, and we will come back to reign with Jesus. I have no idea exactly what that's going to look like. I don't think the scripture is super specific, but we do know that that's part of it. And then the people that are already in heaven, it says the people from one end of heaven to another will also join that rapture, that moment with Jesus. So let me say this. If you were to die right now, or this week, your soul would go to be in the presence of the Lord immediately. Amen? That's good news. But um, if you were to remain until the second coming of Christ, you're, you're, you will immediately receive your renewed body. But if you had spent time in heaven, you will be reconnected to your body. I've been thinking about this quite a bit lately because Rachel's grandmother is literally on her deathbed and she's been asking for verses about death and what happens right after death and we've been talking to her about it and there's so much comfort in the scripture from that. But even death and going to be in the presence of the Lord is not the final hope. The final hope is that Jesus will come back and we will be with him and the whole world will be renewed as he brings us together. All right, so that is the second coming. Now, Jesus now gives four illustrations that I will move through fairly quickly of how we're to anticipate and think about the second coming. First is this. It is imminent. It could happen at any moment. The second coming could happen five minutes from now, five years from now, or 500 years from now. We just don't know. But we do know it is imminent. Listen to the way it's described by Jesus. Verse 32. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as the branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. So in other words, Jesus could come at any moment. And the picture is this. There's, uh, it's a picture of gates kind of in heaven. And Jesus is just ready. The angels are ready. The saints are ready to come. And bring, uh, it, it, listen, I love the way he describes it here in uh, verse 33. He says, no, this is near at the very gates. So you get this picture of God is just waiting to come and bring his reign on earth. And it could happen at any moment. Jesus uses the picture of the fig tree. Now in that society, there were, um, and in the Middle East, there where they lived in Israel, most of the trees were evergreens, but there were a couple of trees that weren't. 
One was an almond tree, and one was the fig tree. And the one way that you knew summer was coming, and you knew that figs were coming, is when the leaves start to show up on the fig tree, you know it could, summer could come at any moment. Jesus is using this illustration to say this. Uh, at any moment, I could break in. At any moment, I could come. And because he could come at any moment, we need to live in readiness. So the next three illustrations that Jesus gives are about that readiness. Now, um, me and Rachel uh, have this ongoing conflict in our marriage. And by the way, I got her permission to share this, okay? The, the, The conflict is this. I like to be on time, and she doesn't. Or she doesn't care as much about being on time, okay? Uh, and the reason, when, you know, when it comes down to it, when you're late, it's because you're not ready, right? You didn't get ready. But it's, with her, it's not at all that she's being lazy. She's trying to do everything. And, you know, my mentality is, like, I'm sitting there waiting. I, I want to be there 15 minutes early for anything. I always tell young guys when they are thinking about getting married, one way to prepare for marriage is just go sit in your car for 15 minutes before you leave anywhere, okay? And so this is, the the reason why she's not on time is because she's not ready. She's doing other things and not even bad things. Well, that's actually what some of these illustrations are that Jesus gives. Sometimes people get so busy with life and this world and don't think about the anticipation of what is coming that they get busy doing other things, and they're not going to be ready according to Jesus. Look at this, verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Okay, so the day that is coming, uh, at least Jesus, when he was here on earth, in, in human body, living and as a human, he's still fully God, but we're told in Scripture that there are certain parts of his omniscience that he laid aside, his all-knowingness that he laid aside so that he could uh, live by faith in the Father just like we have to because he's our representative. So somehow here in Jesus on earth, he doesn't even know when his return is, but he says the Father knows. So the angels don't know. And by the way, you know, every once in a while there are these guys that get on TV and they go, hey, Jesus is coming back on this specific day. Everybody get ready. And it never happens. In 1988, there was a guy that wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. It didn't happen. But then the next year, I kid you not, he wrote a book called 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1989. And people bought the book. And Jesus is like, no one knows. If anybody tells you they know, they don't know. No one knows. So we're supposed to live in readiness. We're not supposed to figure it out and go, he's coming on this date. We're supposed to always live ready that he could come at any moment. So he uses these uh, brilliant illustrations. The first one is Noah. He says, verse 37, For as we're in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And when they were unaware, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So Noah, you know, he's building the boat. Uh, people are probably mocking him. The, the, the ark is being built miles away from any body of water. 
And he's saying there's going to be a great flood, and that, that had really never happened, at least at this point in the history of the world. And so people just kept living their lives, eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, just living their lives, ignoring the fact that God's judgment is coming, ignoring the fact that there's a flood that is coming. And then, because they weren't ready, they were wiped out. The whole world was baptized and cleansed, and God saves this one family. And he says, the second coming will be just like that. There are going to be people going, oh, he's not coming. It's fine. We're doing fine. And they're just living their lives. It's not even that they're living evil, doing evil things. It's just they're living their lives, ignoring the fact that Jesus is coming. And so Jesus says, they will miss me on that day. Look at this second illustration uh, that he gives. Uh, He says, verse 40, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding in the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. So his instruction is, stay awake. Be ready. There are going to be two people in a field working, and one will be taken by God. The other will be left for God's judgment. There will be two women grinding in the mill. One will be taken by God. Another will be left for God's judgment. They could be friends. They both could be confessing Christians. One could have true faith and one is not. We don't know. But the thing is, the one was not ready and the other one was. So the question for you is this. Are you ready? Are you ready for his coming? Now, at some level, I know that we're kind of dealing with, you know, you ever think about what we believe in? It's kind of crazy. We believe that God became a human, walked around here on earth, did good things, died on the cross for our sins, rose again, a human rising again, and then he flew up into heaven. And the scriptures say he's going to fly back one day. Doesn't that sound crazy and ridiculous at some level? Yet it is the truth. And this is what uh, we as Christians, you know, we're told many times in scripture that to believe the gospel is foolishness to this world. This world doesn't understand. You have to be given the gift of faith to be able to see these things, that his coming is imminent and we need to be prepared. And so he says, stay awake, be prepared. All right, last couple of illustrations here. Look at this, verse 43. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, also, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So if you, knew, like, if you knew at 2 o'clock in the morning a burglar was coming, you'd probably be waiting, scare him off, right? Well, Jesus is saying nobody knows the day or the hour, and I'm going to come like a thief in the night, and I'm going to come and rob the devil of what he stole from me. And it's going to happen in a moment. It's going to be so quick, so be ready. Now, last illustration, and this is where it gets practical, okay? The last illustration he gives is of a servant or a steward. Somebody who is a steward is somebody who uh, watches somebody else's property, watches their business, watches their money, takes care of something that is not theirs. And by the way, we as Christians are always called stewards throughout the Bible. That we're taking care of a life that belongs to Him, we're taking care of uh, uh, our time and our talents and our treasures and all that we have, but it all belongs to Him. It's not ours. And so he gives this illustration of how we steward, and how you steward your life is how you know you're prepared. It's one thing for me to say, hey, be prepared, be prepared, and you go, I think I'm prepared. But right now, here, he's about to tell you whether you're prepared or not. So let's listen to Jesus here. 
Verse 45, who then is the faithful and wise servant? In other words, who's the person that is going to be ready when I come back? Whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. So first, we know that the faithful and wise servant is somebody who has been entrusted by the master, with, with, in this case with property, with the business, and as he's entrusted by the master, his job is to take care of those things for his master. And the primary thing that he is called to take care of is the others that are living there on the property. So, in other words, the primary way we prepare for the second coming of Christ is to love our neighbors, to care for our neighbors. And he even uses this illustration of giving them their food at the proper time. So it's not just like, oh yeah, I care about humanity, but it is specifically caring about humanity in a way that is sacrificial, where you're, you're taking your power, you're taking your possessions, you're taking your time, you're taking your talent, your treasure, and you're using all of that for the good of other people. And that's how you know that you're ready. If you're living a life for the good of others, this is what Jesus did. He lives a perfect life for our good. And so he says that is what the faithful servant is like. Now look what else he says the faithful servant does. Uh, verse 47. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. In other words, as he's talking about the second coming, the one who is faithful and uses their life to love others and care for others is the one who is not only ready, but then in the new heavens and the new earth, you will be given his possessions to rule over. Somehow, when he comes and rules over this world, he's going to give us authority and power also to rule with him. And the ones who will rule with him and have that kind of authority and power in the new heavens and the new earth are the ones who use their life here for the good of other people. Now, in contrast to that, the one that is not ready, verse 48, but if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect does not expect him in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in other words, the one who is not ready, who is the one, is the one who takes the stewardship of their lives, makes it all terminate upon themselves, takes their time, their talent, their possessions, everything they have, and just makes it all about themselves. In other words, the, the primary way to not be ready for the second coming of Christ is to make your life about yourself, to make your possessions about yourself, to make your time about yourself. That is the way you know that you're not ready. And he says uh, that's that he begins to beat his fellow servants. In other words, he uses his power, he uses his privilege as a way to dominate other people rather than using that power and privilege as a way to serve other people like Jesus. And it says he will come at a day he does not expect and he does not know. So, okay, this is where I want it to get really practical for your life. How do you know whether you are ready for the second coming? Well, are you stewarding your life? Are you stewarding what God has given you? What are you doing with what God has given you? Are you using it for yourself? Or are you using it for the good of others? 
This is how you know whether you are ready or not. Stewardship, uh, <clears throat> a, a very common way of describing stewardship that Christians have been using for uh, hundreds of years is this. You look at your time, your talent, and your treasure. God has given you time, he's given you talent, he's given you treasure. Now, we could talk about lots of other things, but those are three big main categories. Uh, to repent, to be ready for the kingdom of heaven that is coming, to change your mind means you begin to live for things that will matter 100 years from now. So the way you know you're ready for the second coming is, are you living for things that will matter 100 years from now? If you're living for things that will only matter for next week or next month or next year, you're probably not ready for the second coming. Are you living, thinking, what will matter 100 years from now? Your readiness can be found in how you steward what God has entrusted to you. So in other words, if it's your time, your talent, and your treasure, the way in which you understand whether you are ready is to look at your calendar. How much of your calendar is taking up with God and others? serving others. You could look at your talents. Look at what God has given you. Look at the abilities that you have. What are you using those for? Are you just using those for yourself? Or are you using those for the glory of God and the good of others? You could look at your money. Your money is telling a story. So uh, if, we were to, if you were to go into a court of law, for example, could you be convicted of being a Christian just based upon those things? Your time, your talent, and your treasure. Would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? That's whether you know whether you're ready or not. So are you ready? I'm saying all this, I want you to be ready. I'm not saying all this to beat anybody up or to make anybody feel shame or guilt. My job as your pastor is to teach you the word, and the word here is saying you need to be ready. So repentance then is to go, okay, wait, there are parts of my life where I'm not ready. I need to change my mind. Repentance is this gift that God gives us to be able to change our mind and turn to him. Repentance is to change my mind. I was moving towards something that is evil or selfish, and now I'm turning towards Jesus. That's repentance. So the way in which you prepare is to repent. Here's the reality. I just laid out all that stuff, and you might be going, man, my time, my talent, am I doing enough? That's not my point. The point is, are you aware? Are you aware that he could come at any moment? And are you thinking about these things? And are you repentant in the areas where you are making life all about yourself? Are you willing to change your mind in the places where you're not in line with his kingdom? If you are, the gift to you is repentance. To change, to, to just change your mind over and over again. And by the way, repentance is not something that you did it's something that you do. Martin Luther said that the whole of the Christian life is repentance. In other words, we're constantly turning from evil, turning to Jesus, turning from evil, turning to Jesus. And here's the beauty. Because of his first coming, you don't have to carry the guilt and the shame. He lived a perfect life for you. He died on the cross for you. He rose for you. He is for you. The, the, the whole point here is for us to be aware, to go, are, are we ready? But the whole point is not to beat ourselves up. Because at any moment, we can turn to his grace and his forgiveness. And he will cleanse us and forgive us. And so if, you, if God brought up something in your mind that you do need to repent of, don't grovel and beat yourself up. Change your mind. Turn to Christ. 
Let Christ speak to you. Be ready for his coming. Because at his coming, it's going to be a beautiful and glorious day. Remember, I said, let's live for things that will matter 100 years from now. 100 years from now, you're either going to be dead or Christ will have already come. Right? So let's live for what matters then. That's the whole point that Jesus is trying to make to us. We must understand the second coming in light of the first. He came to bring grace. And so for us, our anticipating and waiting, let's repent, but let us also live under his grace. There is grace and forgiveness for all who repent. God forgives our brokenness. God forgives our stumblings. So in light of that, um, in just a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And in Scripture, we're told that we are to take the Lord's Supper, and when we do, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So every time we take the Lord's Supper, we proclaim his first coming until the time he comes again. So we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And of course, we proclaim it in preaching, we proclaim it in evangelism, we proclaim it to ourselves, we proclaim it when we read it. But when we come to this table, we're proclaiming his death until he comes. And this is the beautiful thing about his death. It is for the forgiveness of sins. It is for the healing of the nations. And so we can come to the table for forgiveness. We can turn from whatever we need to turn from. And we can come to the table and, be, and receive his grace. So if you're a Christian, uh, we're going to go to the table here in just a minute. And we're going to receive that grace. If you're not a Christian, we want you to know that you can come to our church as long as you want without becoming a Christian to continue looking into Christianity. Uh, you don't, but this table, this supper, is for people who believe, who believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose again for them, and believe that he will come again. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So with that, uh, let me pray, and then we'll go to the table. Lord, we want to be ready. We want to be ready for the day when you make this world beautiful. And may we lean into that reality every day. Lean into the values of your kingdom every day. We long for your coming, Lord Jesus. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So let us rise as we will in the resurrection and go to the table.